Tom Bernard Show with Andy Bernard, Mike Molina, and the Hackmaster, Rafael Basham, MD. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Kick off Hour 3, Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Due to the billions of marketing dollars spent by Walzer Automotive on Tom Bernard Podcast, you hopefully know that Walzer sells cars. What you might not know is that they also have two full-service collision repair centers in the Twin Cities. They're fully certified by all insurance carriers and can help you navigate all the paperwork if you ever have an accident. But wait, there's more. They've also been in the paintless dent repair business for nearly 30 years and can take those pesky dings out for just a fraction of what traditional body work costs. Broken windshield? Walzer Collision is a fleet of full-service mobile glass repair trucks as well. Walzer are pros at body and glass repair, but don't take my word for it. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and a nearly perfect 4.8 Google rating. Check them out at walzercollision.com. Why are we playing that? Just because of our earlier conversation? Well, you saw the stock market this morning. I did not. Past 26,000. It did pass 26,000, I yep. thought so. I see. Do you think they'll ever get back to a point in North Dakota where they'll they'll be booming again? I think, wasn't oil up to like 60, almost $65 a barrel? Yeah, it was. I haven't. Uh, yeah, yeah. What's, what's the price point? Well, let's see. I, well, I think 60 bucks is where they start making money, but... Uh, I mean, it was up over a hundred before. It'll, I don't think it'll ever get that high again. But I'm just wondering when they'll well, they'll they'll be opening up again, because basically they've only got about 22 more years to get that oil out of the ground and get it sold. Because a lot of places are passing laws that by the year 2040, no gas-powered vehicles will be, will be allowed in their country or their state. Oh, you knew that, right? Yeah. Good luck with it. Uh, we jinxed it. It's down now. 16 points, at least the Dow is. The Dow is down 16 points? Yep. I don't think 16 points is going to be that hard to make up in a couple of hours, though. I think yeah. you'll be okay. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I, I just uh, Let's let's avoid the huge, uh, huge drop. And that's going to happen eventually because it's shot up so much 
It is unbelievable. It's done very, very well. Andy, did, would you check and see how much a, a barrel of oil is going for today? You can just go to you can just go to Bloomberg.com. That'll tell you immediately. Well, but I think this morning was at like 64.40, something like that. Well, in the last 70. year, it went. So what? right now it's at 25,786. A year ago on this day, it was 19,732. <laughs> Right, exactly. So that's why we're going to take a hit eventually. I mean, it's going to yeah. happen eventually. But uh, that's something they, they, they plan for. How much did you say a barrel of oil is at WTI? Um, well, at w- WTI, because New York Times says it was 70. That's probably Brent crude, though. That's, uh, that's well, pro- yeah, that's probably I have crude. various things. WTI is 64. 64 what? Uh, well, 63.85. But oh, it's dropped down know. again today. Then dropped down about 50 cents a barrel today again. Yes, Brent crude was 70. Yeah, and I don't know why Brent crude is always always higher. I guess it's a different a different way of extracting the oil from the earth. So, Ralph, you don't think that oil is going to going to ever drop off the uh, the face of the earth? You still or, think it's going to because it is California, by the way, who who's. Uh, put that law in place, or they claim to have put a law in place that says no more oil-powered vehicles, gas-powered vehicles after 2040. Well, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, petroleum-powered vehicles, and how are you going to get stuff done? I mean, where are you going to well, get the electrical energy to, to, uh, to project stuff? How, are, how is a, uh, a truck going to drive from uh, San Francisco to L.A.? I mean, I, yeah, it's not like we use oil because we love it so much. We use it because it yeah. has a really high energy density. It's, it's, it's a bit like, uh, and we also have infra- infrastructure in place. It's a bit like the uh, energy minister from India when they had the, these big Paris talks about that. And the guy says, hey, you can't wish coal away. You can't wish it away. I mean, there, there's, yeah. there's certain, and it, as time goes on, we'll use less of it. There'll be other technologies will come, on, come online. But I'll tell you what, the fuel cell technologies haven't come online the way people predicted, you know, even five or ten years ago. No, not even close. Yeah, you can't command humanity to discover a new uh, energy technology. Yeah. That's not how it works. When I, when I visit with Jim Farley, you know, he's the number two guy at Ford. Uh, it's, it's, I brought that up about the fuel cell and hydrogen fuel cell. And he says, yeah, that's been the promise uh, every ten years for the past 30 or 40 years. And it just has never materialized because it's just doesn't work or it hasn't been um, developed and the wind power thing is nowhere it hasn't developed the way they thought it would either uh solar energy is doing okay but it's not really blowing people away either uh, is it i mean is it cost effective to do all those things wind power and solar energy and all the rest of it not is it nearly as cost effective as no. oil or coal that's what i thought What's not the, even remotely it, yeah it, it depends on you know what you're using it for. I think it can be cost effect. It can be cost effective for some things, but when the energy requirements for certain transportation and things like that, I mean, it just it's too hard. Yeah, and it's too hard. You're still going to have to generate. You may be generating the power with fossil fuels, but if you're going to try to make everything electric, you're going to have to have you're going to have to have nuclear power. I mean, that's really what we should have. We should be opening nuclear power plants because right. those are the things mm-hmm. that can generate vast amounts without air pollution. You do have the radioactive materials, but even those those can be rebred and reworked. And I think the technology to be able to use, reuse those fuels is going to really come online and be beneficial, or maybe use different kind of reactors. I got to run something by everyone here, and we'll see if you can guess which state in the United States has the po- highest poverty rate in the country. Which American state? Mississippi. Has, uh, it's not Mississippi. That's what everyone guesses is Mississippi. Uh, Alaska. Nope, not even in the top four. Huh. Arkansas. 
Nope. Oh. That's not in there either. California. Oh, wait, is it California? California. Yeah. Very good. The highest poverty rate in the country, not Mississippi, New Mexico, or West Virginia, but California. Because tons of people come there from Mexico that have nothing. Yeah. I mean, the problem is you can't take everybody in and and stay afloat. It can't happen. You can't be a sanctuary city. San Francisco's got some major, major troubles coming their way. And I love San Francisco as a city. Can't stand the people. But I love – San Francisco's a, a beautiful city. I, we love going there as a family. Spent a lot of time in, in uh, San Francisco. I ate a lot of time. You know, we went there several times. But, you know, uh, out there in the wine country, Ralph, I know that yeah. you and Lindsay love to go out to the wine country and, therefore, San Francisco and the great restaurants. And we've loved San Francisco. But they're, they're in some dream world out there that they're going to get. Look, let me ask you a question. Uh, Ralph, you know a lot more about the topography in California than I mm-hmm. do. You know a hell of a lot more about the state of California than I do because you've lived there. Yeah. Okay? Not, not all, of this, um, all of these mudslides and all these wildfires are the result of the fact that they stopped allowing controlled burns, are they? Well, I... It- the, the the wildfires that occurred could be a result of uh, not allowing controlled burns because it, this under undergrowth of brush is there so dense year after right. year after year and it just and it bakes in that sun so once it lights it goes up like a like a bomb so yeah you you have to try to control this in some way and they, no one wanted to do that so you're going to get these fires and they're going to happen and but you got to let them burn out once again we don't use any common sense here so in other words we don't want to do controlled burns because they pollute do they pollute worse than houses and cars burning no i mean because that's what yeah, they ended really. up with i mean you have to use common sense and no one in california no, will california use common sense is the least common sense state well, by I, far well i think that you know, the, the controlled burns are a natural kind of a process that's been going on for, for eon. And, and Absolutely. The, the pollution that comes from that, re- I don't think, should be regarded in the same way as pollution that maybe come from a rubber factory or a steel mill or even automobiles. Right. I think that, you know, that, that's a separate kind of thing. And to say, oh, I don't want to do this because I don't want to pollute the air, put some carbon dioxide there, is, is stupid. It's insane. So it do you think, the last count I saw was 19 people are dead due to the mudslides. Which were caused, of course, because the brush was removed by wildfires. In control burns, you don't wipe out the brush. You control burn areas to control. Uh, what, what happens is sliding down the mountains, all, all this debris and mud and rock and all the rest of it, if there's nothing to stop it, it's coming down. Therefore, control burns, uh, they, they factor that in. They do the control burns, make sure that all of a sudden a spark doesn't light up the entire part of, basically almost all of, uh, was it Montecito, uh, a lot of different areas. So are those 19 deaths the the direct result of people not wanting to do control burns? Yeah, I think so. I I would think that and any any, uh, loss of life from the fires themselves, a result of this sort of... You know, reluctance to to, uh, to do the control burns or to try to control some of this, or to just take a crew up there and cut it all out. You can do that too. Right. I mean, you could take uh, yeah, crews up there and just clean. You know, you can have a crew go up there and put out the fire, or you can have a crew go up there and just clear out some of that stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I would think so. But but see, they don't think they don't think that way at all. It's just oh, you have to let. You know, here, here's the problem: you can't build a massive house on the side of a mountain and then say we need to leave everything all natural no well you didn't 
Why do we if you didn't? I well, mean, you, you you dug a hole. They want us to live all natural. Yeah, so that, that's right. So that us, basically they want us to consume less so that they can consume more. By the way, I should tell you that this article I'm reading, lest anyone think, oh, that's, I'm sure that's from some far right-leaning uh, uh newspaper or magazine or whatever this article is from the los angeles times uh, which is not exactly known as a far right leaning mm. newspaper no so you know it's not los angeles times is a very very uh left-leaning newspaper i don't know if they're over the top ralph Do you, would you consider los angeles times to be over the top yeah, like the uh, washington yeah. post oh yeah just yeah they're are as, they they're they are. as liberal as you you want as liberal as you want and and but that's the that's the market that they're uh a pandering to, to be honest. Well, here you go. According to the Census Bureau Supplemental Poverty Measure, which factors in the cost of housing, food, utilities, and clothing, and which includes non-cash government assistance as a form of income, given robust job growth and the prosperity generated by several industries, it's worth asking why California has fallen behind, especially when the state's per capita GDP increased approximately twice as much as the U.S. average over the five years. Did you hear that? Wow. California's per capita GDP increased approximately twice as much as the U.S. average over the five years ending in 2016. It, it, that's, uh, that's by the way, that number is almost, it is mind-boggling. It's 12.5% compared to 6.27% everywhere else. It's almost exactly twice as much. Not approximately, almost exactly. It's not as though California policymakers have neglected to wage war on poverty. Sacramento and local governments have spent massive amounts in the cause. Several state and municipal benefit programs overlap with another, one another. In some cases, individuals with incomes 200% above the poverty line receive benefits from the state of California. 200% above the poverty line, and they get benefits. California state and local governments spent nearly $958 billion dollars from 1992 through 2015 on public welfare programs, including cash assistance payments, vendor payments, and other public welfare, according to the Census Bureau. California, with 12% of the American population, is home today to about one in three of the nation's welfare recipients. Did you hear that? One third. 12% of the American population is home today in, uh, to about one in three of the nation's welfare recipients. That is unbelievable. So you're saying you don't want to do anything about immigration. And yet, and look, I'm not blaming on Mexicans or anything like that. That's not, it's not, oh, what a racist thing to say. It's not that. It doesn't work. You can't buy your way out of this problem. It, and the thing that really lit up Lindsay on this issue, uh, lit her up, mm-hmm. you know, my wife Lindsay, lit her up like no yeah. tomorrow. When she started seeing the advertisements on TV for Cal Fresh, which is the uh, uh, credit card for uh, free food or food stamp, the food stamp kind of a program. <laughs> that they're running TV they, TV. Hey, you, may, you may qualify for this. <laughs> True story. I was out people. there. I saw the they're ads on people. TV. Okay. Unbelievable. Tied yeah. together by a common thread of – what's that? Well, that being said, that being said – Many of the people who emigrated there from Mexico, even though they might be in the poverty line in America, are still better off than being in Mexico. Oh, There's yeah. no doubt. I heard a, that somebody referred, referred to Mexico as a hellhole. No. You know who that was Lindsey Graham. Who? Several years ago, Lindsey Graham uh, referred to uh, Mexico as a hellhole. Well, people wouldn't be leaving there if it wasn't a problem. No. Let me just point that out. They would not want to come here if Mexico has tons of oil. 
Mexico should be one of the wealthiest countries on earth, as a matter of fact. I think they have among the most corrupt governments yes, on the planet. And, and that's they, the whole problem. And they have still have feudalism. There's a few families that control they the do. country. So it's a feudal, there's a feudalism uh, attitude or a system there. It may not be landholding, but as far as controlling the, uh, the industry, controlling the resources, that's what go, I think goes on there to a certain extent. I love this. We have less than a minute right now, but I just want to roll this out, and then we'll continue the conversation in part two. Uh, the guy who cuts my hair, a guy named Dino Ladati, came to America as an immigrant from Italy back in the day. He went to Springfield, Missouri. His father was a physician in Italy. His father, as a physician in Italy, made $26 a month. $26 a month, and he's a doctor. He comes to America as a very young man. He says it starts snowing. He goes, I think I'm living in hell. This is absolutely horrible. It's freezing. I live in hell. And then he realized, well, wait a minute. I could shovel driveways and sidewalks. The first uh, day he went out and shoveled sidewalks in America, he made $35 or $9 in one day more, $11 in one day more than his father made in a month as a doctor in Italy. What does that tell you? This would be during the uh, Mussolini years, I'm guessing. Well, it's a while ago. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean, oppression. Just nothing but oppression. We'll yep. be back. Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to hanging out on the dock with family and friends. Let Flow enhance your experience with their rock-solid dock systems. You see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make. Flow boat lifts are a breeze to level using a cordless drill with their patented Easy Level system. Flow is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. Visit Flow at the Minnesota Sportsman Show at River Center in St. Paul, January 18th through the 21st. Be sure to ask for the show special where, with a qualified purchase, you'll receive a free three-piece furniture set or free wireless remote. And mention you heard this ad on KQ for an additional $50 off a dock or lift system. To find out more about Flow Systems, visit their website at floeintl.com. Flow Docks and Lifts, a better way. South of the border, down Mexico way. That's very funny. <laughs> it's funny, but it's cold. I will tell you that. Uh, Joe from Louisville says, and yet American capitalism is the work of Satan and must be crushed. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I just want to continue on a bit longer with the story to get to the crux of the issue. Um, the generous spending, then, has not only failed to decrease poverty in California, it actually seems to have made it worse In the late 1980s and early 1990s, some states, principally Wisconsin, Michigan, and Virginia, initiated welfare reform, as did the federal government under President Clinton and a Republican Congress. Tied together, which is, by the way, what I love. I love gridlock. I love it when the president 
uh, <laughs> is a different uh, from a different party than Congress. I, I love that because they can do very little. You know what I mean? Yep. And, Tied and, together by a common – what's oh, that? I was going to say our current president. Some people might say he's from a different world. Well, yes, that's a possibility. Now, he's not doing a whole lot. or Well, he's trying to do a lot, but he's not yeah, really gridlock. succeeding. The stock market's not succeeding. Yeah. You know. Tied together by a common thread of strong work requirements, those overhauls were a big success. Welfare rolls plummeted, and millions of former aid recipients entered the labor force. I do believe under under President Trump, the African-American labor force is at an all-time high. The jobless rate among African-Americans is at the lowest it's ever been. I heard that uh, on a uh, local news uh, broadcast. So I'm not making that up unless they were making it up, which I don't see why they would do because they try to make him look as bad as they possibly can. I can find out. Find out for me. Yeah, that'd be good, Andy. The state and local bureaucracies that implement California's anti-poverty programs, however, resisted pro-work reforms. They have in Kentucky now, speaking of Joe from Louisville, in, in, in Kentucky, people between the ages of 16 and 64 must work at least 20 hours a week if you're going to collect Medicare. Yes, I did say Medicare. 16-year-olds collect Medicare in some yeah, areas. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, no, it's that's a fact because it's Medicare, Medicaid. Well, I mean, like, I don't know if it's a, the best idea. Yeah, well, you're right about that. That is not a good idea. Yeah, here we go. Um, this chart only goes back to, like, 1970, 1970 it looks like. Um, but, yes, it is definitely at the lowest point it has been... Uh, Ever, the closest it got was in early 2000, but yeah, it's still lower now than it was then. So you're talking about African American unemployment is the lowest it's been in 50 years. Well, technically, I'm talking about all races, but yes. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how. You know, it's not just because of Donald Trump sliding in there. Don't get me wrong, but it certainly didn't hurt. No, if he was actively trying to, you know, oppress the noble black man, then we probably wouldn't be seeing trends like this. No, I think there, I don't think there's any question about that. So they can get off. Once again, that's people like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi running their hideous mouths. Look, I, I, I'm not a huge fan for new listeners. I'm not a huge fan of either party. Uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to what are you going to do? The state and local bureaucracies that implemented California's anti-poverty program resisted pro-work reforms. In fact, California recipients of state aid receive a disproportionately large share of it. No strings attached cash disbursements. It's as though welfare reform passed California by, leaving a dependency trap in place. Immigrants are falling into it. 55% of immigrant families in the state get some kind of means-tested benefits compared with just 30%. Of natives, fifty-five percent of immigrant mm-hmm. families. Look, oh yeah, I've looked up the numbers, and interestingly, the trend tends to be uh, first-generation immigrants are more on welfare than not. Um, Second-generation immigrants are less on welfare mm-hmm. than natives, and then third-generation immigrants get back on welfare for some reason. Really? Yeah, very strange. I wonder why that would be. For some reason, the chill. Well, I think. I think a lot of first-generation immigrants, uh, they're like, it's too late for me, so, you know, my children can go prosper, that kind of thing. Um, but then by the third generation, um, they're Americanized and entitled, so they'll just, you know, and since they're minorities, then the government is more than happy to give them stuff. Yeah. I yeah, think it's, I I think it's so. just because uh, third-generation immigrants feel 
as much like an American as anyone else. So um, entitled. And I think the average person, if they could uh, screw everyone else for their own benefit, they would. I, I think that's just a human well, thing. I think you're right about that. It's just a human thing. No question. Self-interest in the social services community may be at fault, and as economist William A. Niskanen explained back in 1971, public agencies seek to minimize, or excuse me, maximize their budgets through which they acquire increased power, status, comfort, and security to keep growing its budget, hence its power. A welfare bureaucracy has an incentive to expand its, quote, customer base, with 883 full-time equivalent state and local employees in 2014. There are 883 welfare employees or, you know, dependency program employees in the state of California. That is a lot. Almost a million people work on handing out money. No. Well, no Isn't that wait amazing? A second. 800, eight, was it 800,000? 883,000. Whoa. I just heard 8,000. I didn't hear the 100,000. Man. No, 883,000. insane. That is Many work in social insane. services. It is. Many work in social services, and many would lose their jobs if the typical welfare client mm-hmm. were to move off the welfare rolls. See, that's the whole problem. They're keeping a job by giving away your money. Yep. Isn't that unbelievable? How can you set up a system that's that flawed? So people who work for that system can't vote uh, Republican because they'll lose their job, and people who are on welfare can't vote Republican because they'll lose their free money. So it's basically... Right. They're just, like, stuck voting one way for all eternity. Yes, exactly. Further contributing to the poverty problem in Cal is California's housing crisis. More than 4 in 10 households spend more than 30% of their income on housing in 2015. A shortage of available units has driven prices even higher, far above income increases, and that shortage is a direct outgrowth of misguided policies. Now, Ralph, I do remember uh, when you were, you were going to California, yeah. you were going to the Los Angeles area back in the day, a lot of people were moving out of California to places like Colorado. Did they see this coming? Is that why they bailed? Yeah. Did maybe. you see it coming? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you could, you could just see, particularly this welfare kind of uh, juggernaut, you can see, and you could see it more and more. I mean, when, you would, when we would go down to Santa Monica, it was like uh, well, you couldn't walk through the park next to the ocean because there were so many people laying around just living there. And, and, and those, those are people who have chosen homelessness because it's, they get such great benefits. You really don't need right. much shelter there because the weather's relatively nice. And you get mm-hmm. your benefits. You beg a little bit, you know. <clears throat> you know, the, what's the average? The average welfare benefit package is the equivalent of like an $11, $12 an hour job. Well, if you beg yes. for an hour, for you beg each hour, you know, you get another $15. So in essence, you're making anywhere from uh, 20 to $27 an hour just by that sort of stuff. And all your benefits are on top of that, which are absolutely free. So whether it's medical care, whether it's uh, social services, whether it's a legal advice, uh, they even have massage services in San Francisco uh, for, for you as well so that you really can uh, feel best what? about yourself. Yeah, they have massage services. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, massage con- services for so you feel better. When you're homeless, yeah. Yeah, there, so you, there's places what? where you, you can go. You can't come over and give me a neck rub. No, Goodness. no, no. But you, you, you can you can go and you get a massage service. Now this was this was something a buddy of mine uh, who uh, used to be on uh, Skid Row in San Francisco. When he heard about all mm-hmm. these programs, he says, "I never would have loved Skid Row if I had all these th- services because there was no need to. You don't yeah. you don't re- reach the level of despair that pushes you away from it because it's just such a comfortable living." 
I mean, and it well, no. Why work if what you're working for is the same thing that you can get for free? Yeah, and you get one or There's two. There's no incentive to get a job, and you get one or two square meals in I know at least Sacramento every day. I, I drove past That's the. Enough. I drove past the park. They had the, the back open of one of these jeeps, two big pots there, and people were coming with their plates to get a get a plate of stew that was there. Uh, handing it out right there in the, out of the back of the truck. So whether you it's know, the sad thing about that is there are a lot of people who think they're doing the right thing by by you know, pouring the soup into those pots and driving around. They actually think they're helping people. Yeah, people who vote for welfare have good intentions most they of the do. time. Yeah, they, they have think, good intentions. They think that they're fixing poverty, but no. they're optimists, and, and optimism is always the wrong choice. And the, really the ultimate failure is the idea of a welfare state like Haiti. Haiti mm-hmm. has been well, on a God. welfare system for, I don't know, since Papa Doc. I mean, the, because the UN was there, they had, and then all of, well, I would say virtually 50% of religious institutions, nonprofit institutions in America have some sort of relationship with a Haiti aid program. They're sending, th- they're yeah, sending they yeah, used things there, they're sending money there, they're trying to build things, and the place has gone nowhere. Because all that- I've heard some somebody referred to it as some kind of hole, but I can't remember. Haiti's <laughs> a, some kind of hole. I can't remember what it was though. Yeah, well, it it, it goes it goes right down that hole, and uh, people don't see any of it. So you know, you would think that you know you'd go down there and you'd say, hey, let's build a few, uh, let's build a power generation plant and put up some power lines, rather than trying to build, I don't know, some a church or some such thing. You know, they just I, I, it, the money just never gets to the people there, and it goes into graft, and you know, I'm sure there's a handful of people that are running away with it. Yeah, I know it's unbelievable. The whole thing, the whole thing's amazing to me. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> I just got a text that I can't repeat on the air, but they added a three-letter word that begins with an A in front of whole. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, they got their own ideas. Look, I, I, I wanted to ask you, Ralph, because you, you might know this, you might not know this, but isn't California's top rate of state taxation at 13.5%? Is I that true? I don't know that. I, I'm sorry, I don't and know he, that. Could, it might and be. you can find out. The top rate of, uh, of uh, income tax in the state of California. It is unbelievable. How about all those signs that you see, all those signs now because of sanctuary cities, all, all these places in California declaring themselves to be sanctuary cities, that people in Santa Monica put up a sign that said, oh, it's the greatest place, the greatest thing in the world to be a sanctuary city because you don't have any trouble finding nannies or gardeners anywhere you look. Hmm. They actually put that sign up like, whoa. You see, they're, they're, they don't live in the real world. No, they don't. Well, no, they live in a world where saying that kind of thing is like sounds enlightened. Yeah. Well, the, the welfare program in, in uh, Malibu have uh, been so generous is that the homeless are starting to build camps and uh, live there on a regular basis. And the people that are live in Malibu saying, whoa, 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 we don't need all this around. It is now starting to affect people's lifestyle who are supporting this or have supported right. uh, uh, politically in the past. And now they're saying, wait a second, maybe this isn't the best thing in the world. Same thing downtown. It's funny. Everyone's... Everyone's always pro-homeless until the homeless move into their town, and then they're like, right. oh, now I think something needs to be done. Well, the shanty towns right. are, are popping up all through the downtown L.A., too. Josh told me this. He went down there took a lap through. Uh, yes, by the way, 13.3% is California's oh. highest tax rate. Technically, it's 12.3%, oh. but everyone has to pay a 1% surcharge for the mental health services tax, whatever the hell that means. 13.3%. So your top rate... 
the new top rate in in California with the federal rate now settled. What did it settle in at again? Thirty seven percent. Is that right? It went from thirty nine and a half to thirty seven percent, didn't it? It went yes, thirty seven. Yeah, thirty seven percent. So just state and federal oh, alone. Wait. That's twenty seventeen. I think this site has the twenty eighteen brackets. Yeah. It does. Uh, it's still 37%. Yeah, it's 37%. So, so before you start getting into all these other taxes, just the state and Fed alone, you're paying over 50% of every dollar you earn for taxes. Man, 32% just for 157000 That's uh What? Yeah. That's a lot of money, man. Sure is. And the other thing about that is now, because of the new tax program, which I am not a fan of, by the way, you cannot write off more than $10,000 of combined property and state taxes. $10,000. That's the top. So I don't think any party's going to save us from this stuff. Do you? Nope. Do you think anybody's going to step, step up and take care of this? Nope. We're, we're, we got problems. We got a lot of problems, right? Let's see. $10,000. Uh, let's see. 10000 The lowest tax rate for above the poverty line is 12%, and that's if you make under 38 thousand. 12% state taxes? Federal. Oh, federal. Yeah, no. federal is 12%. Yeah. Uh, it looks like, yeah, if you make about $30,000 a year, you'll be able to write off your taxes. Oh, there you go. That's good. There you go. We'll be back. We have a special guest coming up next, Tom Bernard. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone said it was. Well, I received my first my pillow and I love it. Look, my, my head stays level. You know, it's not too high, not too low. My neck feels much better because of it. Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernard Show listeners. MyPillow is offering a buy one MyPillow, get another one absolutely free. Don't delay. This offer will end on January 31st. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first MyPillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Go to MyPillow.com, but make sure you use the promo code TOM. Again, please use promo code TOM. That's promo code TOM, MyPillow.com. Tom Bernard here. Hey, would you turn down a job that paid you thirty to $60,000 an hour? That's basically what you're doing if you don't attend the SellerWorkshop.com series this month, hosted by the Chris Lindahl team with REMAX Results. In about an hour, you'll learn how to potentially make thirty to $60,000 more on the sale of your home. Chris, why are you giving away the secret sauce? Uh, great question. If you love something, set it free, right? Seriously, I'm on a mission to help people make the money they deserve when they sell their home. Whether it's my team or someone else, the the fact is the world has changed when it comes to home selling, yet people are still doing it the traditional way and leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the table. It drives you crazy when people do it wrong, doesn't it? I just hate seeing people lose money. At the SellerWorkshop.com series, you'll learn the methods we've developed at the Chris Lindahl team that have made us the number one REMAX results team in the nation. You walk out with all the tools you need to make tons more money on your next home sale, and it's totally free. The Seller Workshops are happening January 29th through the 31st. Seating is limited, and trust me, they sell out fast. Visit SellerWorkshop.com or call 763-401-SOLD. California. I love that song, Melina. Did you know that? Yeah, it's your favorite rap song. I love this song. You know why I love this song? Because you're, you're proud of where you're from. You're proud of your neighborhood. That's why I love this song so much. Why aren't you playing the South Park version? <laughs> California <laughs> is nice to the homeless. <laughs> yeah, California. South Park. Yep. <laughs> they wanted to get the homeless out of their city, so they uh, said, 
Hey, homeless people moved to California. He did. That's what they were trying to say. Kim Fields joins us. How you doing, Kim? Hey, how are you? Doing extremely well. We were just uh, we we're just talking. Do you, do you ever watch South Park, Kim? Of course. Well, did you know that all started as like a Christmas, uh, like it was like a Christmas card sent out by Matt and Trey. Uh, they had these little characters. And it got so popular that people were posting it on YouTube, and then it got really popular, and the, the thing turned into this massive success. And I believe, it, Andy, that's not correct. You would know that. It, would, it started out as a Christmas greeting, right? Um, wow. Or a Christmas present. I guess, isn't that unbelievable? It's an amazing <laughs> fact. That's all I know. Kim Victoria Fields, an American actress and television director. You're a big shot. Let's tell everybody you are. You're a big shot. <laughs> I'm like, Victoria. What? my full name like I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. That, that does sound like you're in trouble. Kim Victoria, get in here. I love that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, you're right. An animated short called The Spirit of Christmas. The Spirit of Christmas. It was an animated short. It started as a Christmas greeting, mm-hmm. and now it's a billion-dollar industry. It's unbelievable. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Kim Fields talking about living single, now streaming for the first time ever only on Hulu, and her film, A Question of Faith, now on DVD, VOD, and her memoir as well, Blessed Life, and the Lifetime movie she starred in wrap up, uh, Wrapped Up in Christmas, which was Lifetime's highest-rated holiday movie of 2017. Kim, you need to have more things going on. I, think, uh, I don't think four things at once is enough. <laughs> well, hence Blessed Life, my goodness, right? So I want to hear all about that. I want to hear, first of all, I want to hear about A Question of Faith. What's that all about? A Question of Faith uh, was a film in, uh, in, in uh, theaters that uh, uh, launched um, last uh, fall and basically uh, is about three families, and um, they are uh, very diverse, and uh, their lives kind of intersect uh, in, the wake of a tra- in the wake of a tragedy, and they end up being... Um, uh, uh, in kind of the ashes, so to speak, before they become the phoenix rising, you know, and, and essentially mm-hmm. how that um, unfolds for them. You know, when you are a person of faith, that doesn't mean that you um, just say a prayer and automatically you have forgiveness or you're able to move on. You know, it's such a challenging process for anybody. And I really loved the characters that um, were in there because they're so relatable. I think it's so, you know, I, I assume that most people go, oh, question of faith, oh, it's one of those over-the-top religious deals, or blah, blah, blah. Having faith in a, a number of different things. Uh, Kim, I, I'm not, I grew up Roman Catholic. I'm not an overly religious mm-hmm. person myself. But I mm-hmm. do like to believe that I have faith in my family. I have faith in myself. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having faith. Not at all. And uh, just like you said, you know, being able to um, uh, have various degrees of faith, you know, um, sometimes you have it, as they say, the size of a mustard seed. Sometimes it's, you know, a, a big, a big, you know, a, a, a torch, so to speak. Uh, and sometimes it's a tiny flame. I mean, the bottom line is, um, you know, that you do have faith, that you do um, believe in something other than yourself, so to speak. Um, and, and that, to me, again, doing this film, A Question of Faith, it wasn't over the top. It wasn't, um, you know, everything is wrapped up perfectly by the end of the movie without, again, yeah, absolutely, Kim. You know what's interesting about life is perception as far as uh, 
life is concerned, having a certain perception of something. And I, I, I looked down uh, the fact that you released uh, your memoir, Blessed Life, and I went, well, how can a 25-year-old release a, a memoir? Because to, me, to me, you're still a little kid who maybe is 25 by now. You know what I mean? Well, bless your heart. Yeah, no. <laughs> so well, not much older than that, though. Um, well, thank you. Um, being um, um, uh, 48 and having 40 years in my career, um, it felt like a really um, kind of perfect time to, um, you know, just kind of look at a highlight reel of, of God's work in my life, um, professionally and personally, you know. Um, and it isn't just a celebration of all the great, you know, um, times I've been on the mountaintop, again, personally and professionally. No, there's a lot of very real stories and experiences um, that, you know, you, you look back in hindsight and go, ugh, I'm not proud of that moment, or ugh, I wish that hadn't happened. But it did. And I'm, you know, I'm who I am today um, because of all of those experiences. No, I think that's exactly right, and the fact that you you embrace them again—that—that's that, that question of faith. Uh, you have enough faith in yourself, and and, and in God, I guess in your in your case, uh, that, that case. you can get mm-hmm. past. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, which I think, by the way, I have no criticism of people. Uh, I'm kind of jealous of people who have a lot of faith in God, because uh, it makes your life much more peaceful, doesn't it? Well. Um, that's, that's a goal. <laughs> right. No, it is. Absolutely. It is not it is. a guarantee. <laughs> it is not no, a guarantee. No, I understand that. Um, and, and, and being able to, um, have that understanding, I think is, 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 you know, part and parcel to, um, that, that type of walk that a believer walks, you know, if, if you, if, if you, if that's what you believe. Now, Kim, you have a, you've had a lot of success in, in your life, uh, 40 years in the business, all the rest of it. Is, is being a person of faith, is that harder to do in your line of work? Because a lot of people kind of look down their noses, oh, really, you, uh, you, you believe this, you believe that. Right. A lot of people in, in your, your business don't like that, do they? Well, I think two things. One, um, you know, when they realized it was a moneymaker, so to speak, in terms of faith-based film, <laughs> uh, that sort of I love thing, that. The, the, the looking down their nose kind of ended because they started looking at, you know, the bank accounts and box office and things like that. But that aside, I've not had any issues with, um, you know, being Good. a person of faith uh, and, and in my industry because... Um, one, I don't wear it on my sleeve in a way that is um, judgmental, you know, for anybody sure. else. Um, and, you know, Christianity is not the only faith that is very strong and prevalent in the entertainment industry. Uh, right. uh, certainly the uh, Jewish faith, um, you know, there's a, a number of, of executives and, and, and people who are in the industry Um Catholicism, you know, uh, so I don't think that it's it's something that is very uh, unique, you know what I mean? Um, and I've never been in a in a position where I felt like I had to compromise or pick one over the other uh, in in roles or or job opportunities. Now, Kim, I do want to ask you. I just looked down at the bio, and it mentions uh, you have a new venture with your your husband, uh, Chris. Mm-hmm. Yes, very exciting. What? So, Chris and I. Uh, we have uh, been interested in the coffee industry and cultivating uh, relationships and partnerships 
uh, in that industry and so recently uh, launched our signature blends on my site, uh, kimfields.com. And so when our uh, when the book uh, was released, we wanted to launch the Blessed Life Blend. And now in celebration of the big Hulu announcement streaming for the first time ever, Living Single, we created uh, the Binge Blend, uh, which has just a kiss of espresso uh, mixed in with the delicious roast that we've already created. So we're very excited about this uh, venture and other coffee lines that are coming down the pipeline, you know, very, very quickly. So who gets more jacked up on caffeine, you or your husband? <laughs> Me. <laughs> oh, you do. See, there That's you go. <laughs> it's just a, that's easy i mean that's a, that's a lot of things like you said living single now streaming for the first time ever only on hulu film a question of faith yeah. now on dvd your memoir blessed life is out uh you had the biggest uh holiday movie of 2017 just less than a month ago wrapped up in christmas you've got the coffee venture with your husband chris do you have any time left in your day to do anything Sure, take the kids to school. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. The, uh, <laughs> uh, no, we totally leave, leave time for ourselves, you know, and my family has been great in reminding me that um, that also means time specifically for Kim um, and not just time just for Kim and Chris um, or for my family overall. Um, our family, the four of us, are extremely close. We love being together. And then spending time with our parents, our siblings. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, also making sure, which was a lesson that I actually, and honest to God, I learned on Real Housewives and then executed the lesson on Dancing with the Stars, which was having something for me, having me time and a happy place. Uh, and I hadn't realized that. And so I love that I'm, I'm still um, dancing. Sometimes it's only, you know, a couple of bars in the bathroom. Uh, while I'm getting the kids ready, but that's still just a little nugget of time for myself where I just kind of disappear into, you know, dance mode um, for a quick five, six, seven, eight, and then I'm back. Well, see, that's a wonderful thing. I uh, This show, as a matter of fact, the Tom Bernard Show, uh, my wife is on it. Our son Andy's on it. Our daughter Alex is on it. You know, all at different times or whatever. Sometimes we're all four yeah. together on it. But I, I look forward to it every day because I get to be with my. I kind of suckered my family into working with me, Kim. <laughs> That's a good thing, though. I, I love working though. with my family. It is. Absolutely. It absolutely is. How you old know, are your children? With this venture, we um, Quincy is four. He just turned four last month, and Sebastian oh. ten and a half. And even, you know, the thing with this coffee venture, and when people go to um, uh, my website, kimfields.com, which is where they can order my book, and this is the only place you can get personalized uh, books, by the way, but they can get the book, they can get the coffees, uh, but they'll see pictures of uh, Chris and the kids and I at the coffee roasters. Um, You know, it was important for us to take them and to have them see something that mommy and daddy are working on together, just like when they come to the set when we're doing our holiday show, Holiday Love, and they come to the set and they see us working together or the radio, uh, the recording studio if we're recording uh, uh, one of our radio specials for Holiday Love. Um, because it really, you know, kind of it, it, it sets examples for them, as you know, you know, with, with, your, with your kids um, being a part mm-hmm. of what you and your wife do. 
but it's it's a great experience, um, and and you know you see pictures of us at the roasters and uh, in the flavor room and things like that. So um, it's 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 really a very special interaction. But again, and and for any females that are listening, making sure that you also uh, have that time for yourself is so important. Uh, I talk about this in my book. I thought I had I had me time credit because I had spent so much time of of you know and me time in the late 90s after I was done with living single in the early 2000s. So I didn't think I was I needed anymore. Uh, and 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 you actually you do need that on a regular basis. And so um, that's certainly one of the takeaways. I hope that people who read the book and follow my story that that's something that is a takeaway for them as well. No, Kim, I have to ask you this. We only have about one more minute left, but I want to ask you, was it your mother, was it your father, or was it both that made you the person you are? More than likely my mother, um, because I grew up in a single-parent household, and so um, my mom and dad divorced when I was very, very young, and she was a a young mom, uh, a teen mom, and um, my village, though. You know, I'm always giving credit to everybody that's a part of my life, Um, my family and my friends. uh, They've all poured into me. You're a good person, Kim, I'll tell you that. I've talked to you before. It's been a while, but I, I've been doing the same morning show in Minnesota for for 32 years, and we've, we've had you on before. You just are a really, you're a very impressive person, I will tell you that. I love to see your name on the, on the guest thank chart. Thank you. Oh, it's thank a, it's you my so pleasure. much. I really appreciate it. And thanks for the follow. I saw you follow me on Twitter today. Thank you for that. <laughs> We'll get it done. Kim, thank you for your time. Maybe that was your son who did it, but thank you. <laughs> Kim, it was probably my wife, to tell you the truth. It was Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Kim Fields, ladies and gentlemen. Great show today. We covered everything. We had some humor, had a great guest or two. We had two great guests, as a matter of fact, today. Got to talk about, don't talk about politics a whole lot in this show because you hear it so much everywhere else. But important issues. It's like uh, government needs to get off their ass and get to work for the people. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tom Bernard Show. (laughs) 